Open your Bibles to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. Stand with me and let's ask God's blessing on us and then I'll read a portion of that word. Now, Father, we ask for your blessing upon us. We ask for wisdom and understanding. We ask for light. We ask, O oh God, that we would not hear your word and forget it. Make it profitable to us. Teach us the way we must go. Teach us the things to long for and to pray for. Teach us, O oh Lord, how to walk in honor and glory to you. And make us a happy people. A people that is completely and thoroughly satisfied with Christ, with the Word of God, and the means of grace. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Second Thessalonians chapter 3. I want to begin reading at verse 16. And now may the Lord of peace Himself continually grant you peace in every circumstance. The Lord be with you all. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. This is a distinguishing mark in every letter. This is the way I write. And the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Thus ends the reading of God's Word. You may be seated. Well, brothers and sisters, the Apostle Paul closes this letter in a very similar way that he opened it. He closes with three blessings. Three blessings that he wishes upon those professing believers in Thessalonica. And in these blessings, Paul is teaching us to covet these blessings for ourselves. That is, as Paul speaks this benediction to the church in Thessalonica, we should see this benediction and these blessings in our day and seek for them ourselves. We should covet them. We should seek them out. We should make sure that these blessings are real and true in our own midst as a church, as a fellowship. And what we find in them, we should hold on to them with all of our strength. We not only want to seek these blessings out for ourselves, but we need to seek them out for one another as well. It's not just so that we might be filled up ourselves and we might leave here and go in peace, but it's that we might be filled up and our brothers and sisters sitting next to us would be filled up. It's that hug and smile that we give to one another when we see each other on the Lord's day. It's that refreshment that we desire to give to others by our own presence and desire to encourage others as well. Our brothers and sisters, we need to not only seek and secure these blessings, but we must learn to protect them. And I'm going to go over them in a minute. Seek them out and we have to learn to protect when protect them as well why do we protect why do we need to maintain and protect these blessings because it's an ongoing serious and fierce warfare that's why that is brothers and sisters in order 
for us to maintain and secure these blessings, we have to do battle with the devil. We have to do battle with the world. We have to do battle with our own flesh. That fierce, raging war that takes place not only in every one of us, but collectively as a whole with the world and the devil. It's fierce. It's ongoing. It's, cons- it's constant. And it requires from us as God's professing believers the utmost diligence and watchfulness. If we fail to be diligent in the task given to us in Christ, if we fail to be watchful and mindful of the uh, things going on around us and even in our midst, then we will lose these blessings. And to lose these blessings that I'm going to give you this morning, brothers and sisters, is to lose everything. That's what's at stake. This is not one of those... um, how do you put this? This is not one of those, you know, uh, sermons that treats b- God's blessings like a bubblegum machine, you know. You just kind of can go up and pay your little token and get your blessing and going about your business. That's not how it works. Many people have a view of God as being just a dispensing machine. But that's not how it works. See, what we've learned in this, uh, these two epistles is that there is a vital, living, lively faith and fellowship that exists between Christ, God our Father, and the people who profess to know Him and love Him. Well, brothers and sisters, so what we're talking about this morning, I pray, it is my prayer, and it has been my prayer, that we will consider these blessings we will look for these blessings and we will seek where we are lacking to promote these blessings and to hold on to them by the grace given to us in Christ well what are these blessings what are the blessings from the text that I read to you that we should seek for and look at well there are three there are three first blessing that we are going to look at is the peace of God The blessing of peace. The second blessing is that of God's presence. God's presence. And the third blessing is the grace of Christ. The grace of Christ. So we have peace. We have God's presence. And we have Christ's grace. Now what are these blessings? How are we to understand these blessings? And we're going to need to understand them if we're going to see if they are in our midst, right? We're going to need to know what they are. So if we're wrong about what we think they may be, we can make that correction and change in our heart and mind and then reform our practice to that truth. Well, let's look at the blessing of peace and let's consider it first. Now notice the context, that is... What peace is Paul referring to here? Well, I believe it's the peace that is connected particularly with the context before it. Notice what Paul just finished doing from verse 6 down. He just finished giving us 
rules, if you will, on how to address and deal with and handle those who are not conforming to the Word of God. Those who are walking contrary to the revelation of the Apostle. Those who are not walking in accord with the mind and will of Christ. And by not walking in accord with Jesus Christ, they are fracturing the peace that does exist. It's hard to be a congregation at peace if you have differing and warring ideologies. Each one, each member or groups of members doing what's right in their own eyes. How can there be peace? I believe what Paul is saying here as he pronounces this benediction of peace. Now may the Lord of peace grant you peace. This peace I do believe is connected with this maintenance of love. Love. In fact, I can sum up this peace by stating this. Love is the heart of this peace. It's the heart of the peace that Paul is referring to here. Now may the Lord of peace. Who is this Lord of peace? It's the Lord Jesus Christ. Who is the Prince of Peace? Who is the the supreme object of what love is? For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that Jesus Christ, in covenant with His Father, gave Himself so that He might show us what love really is. When Paul pronounces this blessing of peace, beloved, he is really talking about cultivating a heart of love so that peace can prevail. (laughs) Peace is the maintenance of love. To love one another is to want to be at peace with one another. Not ignoring each other. Not, not, Not ignoring... Uh, those things that can fracture a body bring dishonor to the name of Christ. Now, brothers and sisters, I would never, ever cultivate, encourage, or incite this congregation to be nitpickers. I don't agree with it. I will never support it. And I will never foster it in my preaching. I've always taught us to be patient with one another. Willing to be uh, merciful, long-suffering with one another. But there are times when there is a, a, a need to go to your brothers and sisters. But if you go to your brothers and sisters over every little thing, what happens when there's a big thing? You've worn them out. You've, you've, you've exasperated the body of Christ over trivial, I'm going to use the word trivial, not that sin or not that weaknesses are trivial, but in the scheme of sanctification and growing and long-suffering with one another, they are trivial. Bearing with one another's weaknesses. Brothers and sisters, I'm growing I have weaknesses. 
I want you to grow. But if all we do is nitpick one another, then all we're going to do is turn each other away from one another. And we are not going to believe there is any love here at all. Love is the maintenance of this peace. Now, it doesn't mean we ignore each other. It doesn't mean we live isolated and far apart from one another where we just let, you know, uh, let each one to his own way. We don't do that either. When one hurts, we all hurt, right? When Paul pronounces this blessing of peace, brothers and sisters, he's teaching us, he's showing us that love for one another must be grounded on our love for God. Let me ask you this. You know, notice the, the, the two tables of the moral law. The first four commandments addressing and dealing with our love to God. How we are to love God. Why? Because we don't really know how to love God. And God tells us and He commands us. These commandments are blessings because we don't know what to do. We don't know how to do it. And so God shows us. This is what, this is what love for God is. But the love for God is the foundation of the second table of the law. Loving your neighbor as yourself. And I'll tell you this, beloved, where there is no true love for neighbor in a congregation, there is no real love for God. And you take that to the bank. Whether you agree with it or not, I'm telling you it's true. The foundation of love, true love, real love. I mean, I'm talking about the kind of love that, that's, that, that fills the heart and, and keeps us focused love. Not that romantic goobly gunk that comes and goes. Not that, you know, tingling emotion that's here one day and gone the next, here one day and gone. I'm talking about the kind of love that hurts for someone else. That love rests upon the love of God because God is love. God is love. He has shown us love. He has shown us what it means to, to, to what it, love means. He has shown us what love is, and He has shown us what love looks like. So when Paul pronounces this peace upon this congregation, he is talking about a heart of loving one another and walking in peace with God and each other. A Christian will never ever strike the target of brotherly love unless that Christian first pondered their own love for God. The Christian will never strike the target of brotherly love unless they first contemplate and strive for loving God first. Now how and you say, Well, Pastor, I love God. Consider the first four table, first four commandments. Start there. They are connected. They are not independent from each other. They are connected and related. And so we must do the same. This peace that Paul is talking about here is the unity of a Christian walk. It's the unity of a Christian walk. Oh, may the peace of Christ be with you. 
You know what? When we come and profess the name of Christ and we come to be discipled in the Word of God, what are we saying that we agree with that with one another? We all, you know, we are in agreement, right? We are in agreement that Christ must be believed in. Amen. We are in agreement, right, that Christ must be obeyed. Is that something we can, you know, uh, barter over? Well, I, I see it this, but I don't see that. No, we come in the unity of that, of that, that faith in Christ and that obedience, brothers and sisters, where we walk in peace with one another. Why? Because we are all come under the agreement that Jesus Christ is both Savior and Lord. And we walk with Him and with one another in peace. Not desiring brothers and sisters, to disturb that peace. I want you to think about it this way. Peace is the disruption of our Christian walk. That is, when, when we are, are committed ourselves to an action that disrupts the, the walk, the Christian walk of the church, it disrupts the peace. It disrupts the peace of the church. And here Paul is pronouncing the blessing. He's saying, oh, this benediction. Oh, may the, the, the Lord Jesus, who is the Lord of peace, give you peace. That's what? That's the unity of a Christian walk. It's hard these days to be unified in many churches because theology is so nebulous. What do we believe? I don't know. You can believe anything you want to believe. Just believe that Jesus is is the Savior, but everything else is questionable. No, 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 no. We don't believe that. We don't believe that. We believe that Jesus Christ is both God and man, that He came into this world to die for God's elect, for those sinners that He elected before the foundation of the world, that He would call them out of the world and unto Himself, that He would save them, not so that they could live any old life they wanted to, but that they may live, live, be restored, and live the life they were created in the beginning to live. In faith and holiness and happiness. Peace. It's the unity of a Christian walk, brothers and sisters. Secondly, it's the freedom of a guilty, from a guilty conscience to grow in grace. You know what keeps most Christians from growing in grace? Those Christians who are struggling from growing in grace? Guilty conscience. What's a guilty conscience? A guilty conscience is a conscience that's burdened with the need for repentance but not doing it. You know you do. You know you're wrong, but you're stubborn. You do the main things, but the other things can fall by the wayside. And that guilty conscience keeps you from enjoying peace. It can be a number of things, and I'm not going to mention them. It can be a whole host of things. It can be a whole host of things that you know that I need to address and deal with as a Christian. But because I refuse to address and deal with them as a Christian should, I am guilty in my conscience. And that guilty conscience keeps me from growing in that unity and that peace and that refreshment in Christ. It keeps me from doing that. 
But this peace that Paul is blessing the church with or wishing to bestow upon the church is that freedom from a guilty conscience so you can grow in peace. Thirdly, it's the fervent love among the membership, as I've already stated. This is what peace is. If you want to, if you want to promote peace, if you want to look at this congregation and ask yourself, are, are, does, do we possess this blessing of peace? What about our unity of walk? How do I do my part as a member of this body by addressing my guilty conscience? And then thirdly, how do I show my love for my brother and sister? That's peace. You have to look at these things. And let me end that blessing with what I started it with, and that is, brothers and sisters, love is the very heart of peace. You love somebody, you want to be at peace. We're not talking about ignoring conflict. That's not peace. The, the ignoring of a conflict is not peace. And that's why Paul goes on in another place to say, as much as it depends on you, be at peace. As much as you're able to do. Sometimes we can't do much. Sometimes we can do very little. Because there other party won't be at peace. But you have to be at peace in your conscience by what? Doing all that you can and what God's commanded you to do. The second blessing, the second blessing is certainly related to the first, but different. Paul not only writes, he says, himself grant you peace in every circumstance, but notice what he says at the end of verse 16, the Lord be with you all. That is the presence of the Lord, His presence. When Paul speaks of the presence of the Lord, he is speaking of His sweet covenant presence, His favor his favor, that favor that, that is of a, of, of a redemptive nature. This covenant of grace. That is, we now have a relationship with Christ based upon sovereign grace. We don't deserve it. We haven't earned it. But yet we have it because the Lord Jesus has given us this grace. And then this grace, what is being restored? Let me, I want to understand how this blessing is often um, discerned wrongly. How many people have you ever spoken with? And maybe, you've, maybe you have been guilty of this error as well. And that is often that this blessing of God's presence is discerned wrongly by what we feel. Not by God's Word. That is, we feel like God's close to us. I feel His presence. My, I've got chill bumps. I've, there's, you know, there's some feeling that we relate in our minds to God's presence. And brothers and sisters, that's not what Paul is talking about here. 
That's not what Paul is referring to here. It is a major mistake if we discern God's presence by our feelings instead of God's Word. Only God's Word can give us the light and truth needed for us to know Him and to discern His presence and what that means. Only God's Word. Now, brothers and sisters, let me go back and mention what I've already mentioned in the worship service itself, and that is in the beginning God made man upright and holy with integrity, right? Man had only one law to keep. One. And in keeping of that one law perfectly, he would secure for himself and his posterity eternal life. And what is eternal life? Eternal life is being in the ever-blessed presence of God forever. That's eternal life. That they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. See, eternal life, brothers and sisters, is not just our living forever without pain and suffering. Eternal life is living in the ever-abiding sweet presence of God. Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. It's being in His presence. Being in His company. Being in His fellowship. Being in that that state of, of, of rightness, right? Of sweetness. You know what it is, you know, it's like when a husband and wife and I, you know, this is the closest, one of the closest relationships, humanly speaking, we can relate to in our illustrating our communion with God. And that is the idea that when a husband and wife are at odds with each other, it's just hard to get along. There's no sweetness in each other's company. But when everything's right, when everything is proper, there's a sweetness. There's an enjoyment. There's a gladness. And, and, and that's relatable to our presence, with, with in, in our company with God. Paul here says, and may He be with you. May He be with you. Now listen. What did man lose? When he sinned against God, when he broke that one moral law commandment given to him of not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, what did Adam and Eve both lose when they ate and broke that commandment? They lost his presence. That's the worst. That's the worst. You say there's a lot of things in this life that we say are the worst, right? Not to have a job. That's the worst. The loss of a child. That's the worst. The loss of a spouse. A lifetime of a spouse. That's the worst. The loss of a friend. And there are a number of things that we can... Talk about 
that we can relate to. The loss of a parent, a family member. And we could say, oh, it's the worst. And we're crushed, humanly speaking. We're distraught. But brothers and sisters, listen to me. To lose the presence of God is the worst. Adam and Eve immediately went from holy and happiness to sorrow and misery. They went from walking with the Lord in the cool of the day to hiding from Him. Hiding from Him. Hiding from the God of glory, the God of truth, the God of all wisdom. The God of all power who spoke this world into existence. I mean, the majesty and the glory of God they did not want. They lost His presence. Well, they didn't lose His His presence, presence, but they lost the sweetness of His presence. Because brothers and sisters, listen to me. What Paul is doing here in this benediction and in this blessing, he is calling for the blessing of God's sweet covenant presence to be and abide with His people, not His wrathful, angry presence. That we have testimony in the book of Revelation, and in the book of Isaiah, and in other Old Testament passages of Scriptures where they say what? Oh, that He would turn from me. I can't stand to see His face. He might turn His anger from me because I can't stand His wrathful presence. And they hide themselves in the cliffs of the rocks and they beg for the mountains to fall on them so they don't have to see Him. And they don't have to be in His presence. That's His wrathful presence. And what Paul is talking about is His sweet covenant saving presence. Merciful presence. Oh God, will you be angry with us forever? Here's what God would say. No, my child, not in Christ. Not in my son. Oh God, will you keep your face from us forever? Oh no, my child, not in Christ. I will be restored to you forever. Oh God, will you not show us the paths to walk? Will you not teach us your word? Will you keep that from, from us forever? Oh, my child. Think about Psalm 85. Not in Christ. For in Christ I come to be restored for you in the sweet covenant fellowship and presence that I might show you my ways and teach you to walk in them. Open your Bibles to John 15. I want to show you the, the heart of God's presence. Because the, the, the Scriptures are consistent here. Now, I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to tell you, everybody, when you open your Bibles, look up at me. God's presence the heart of God's presence is obedience. Okay? The heart of God's presence is obedience. So if you want to ask yourself, am I in the sweet fellowship and presence of God? 
how do I evaluate that? Is it a feeling? Is it an emotion? No. It's obedience. It's that loving, gracious, glad obedience that we serve Christ. Look at John 15. I want to read it to you. Verse 5 and following. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and and dries up. And they gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. But if you abide in me, notice, and my words abide in you. Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this that you bear much fruit. And so prove to be my disciples. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. What do you see there? What do you see there about this abiding nature, this abiding with Christ? What's this abiding? Abiding is presence. How do we abide in the presence, the sweet presence of Christ? Obey. How did Christ, listen to me, how did Christ abide in His Father's presence? Obedience to all His Father's commandments. Now brothers and sisters, listen to me. The heart of peace is love. The heart of God's presence is obedience. Churches can make the claim, God is with us. But I want you to ask the question, are we keeping His commandments by grace? Because if we're not walking in His commandments in a loving way, desiring to love Him... See, listen, here's the... It's like this. If the commandments have become burdensome to you. Check your conscience. Because remember, this peace and this love is this cleansing aspect. And we walk in this peace and unity in our Christian faith and walk growing in grace. Why? Because we have unburdened our conscience with repentance. And now we walk in the sweet covenant presence of God by what? Walking in the path of of His Word. Thy Word is a light unto my path. I'm going to walk with God. It's the path of His commandments. That we walk by grace. Because we love Him and He loves us. Notice He says, listen, I am your God. I love you. I want to give you the rules and the moral laws of life. This is how you were made to live. This is how you were made to function and to think and to enjoy. This is the keys of your happiness. Or these are the keys of your happiness. The Christian who is saved by grace is saved not to disobedience, beloved, but to obedience. A Christian is not saved because of obedience. They're saved for obedience. 
There's nothing we can do. There's no amount of obedience we can perform in order to secure our salvation. It is by sovereign grace we are saved. And that not of ourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. But we are saved unto obedience. And all the churches making the staggering claim to have God in their midst, I'll ask, are you keeping His commandments? Obedience is the heart of God's sweet presence. Third blessing that Paul pronounces upon this church is the grace of Jesus Christ. Notice what he says in verse 18. And the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. What is this grace of Christ Paul is speaking of here? Well, this grace, I believe, brothers and sisters, is the fountain that issues forth the first two blessings of peace in God's presence. It's the fountain. It's the grace already mentioned in Christ and only in Christ is man restored to his proper happiness. What did disobedience do again? Disobedience ripped happiness out of the hands and hearts of Adam and Eve and all their children, which is us. Disobedience The claws of disobedience ripped, ripped that joy and peace away. In Christ, they are given back. In Christ, this grace of Christ, they are restored. They are freely given. They are powerful. They are powerful in the heart and the mind and the life of the believer who now with happiness walks the Christian life. I'm afraid. I just, I, I, I'm afraid. I'm afraid as a pastor that we have cultivated in this nation in the evangelicalism and in many reform circles that we can obey and live the Christian life apart from happiness. But I can't find that in Scripture. Now, we are not to obey only when we're happy. I agree with that. You know, we're not to sit back and say, well, I'm just going to wait till I feel good about obeying God and obey God. That's not what I'm saying. But that somehow we can just go through the motions. We can just sing the old traditional hymns or the contemporary stuff, whatever seems to float the boat, right? Shake a few hands, pat a few backs, give a little bit of money, and we are okay. And never be happy. The happiness, this grace that Paul is blessing the church with, brothers and sisters, is that essential grounded fountain of happiness that man had all the way back in the very beginning when God made him holy and happy. When he was thoroughly happy and joyful to be made in the image of God. To be given the blessings of paradise. A home called paradise. The Bible tells us that everywhere the eye looked, it was beautiful to behold. 
It had water and streams and rivers. It had mountains, flowers and fruit trees. And it had everything that man possibly needed in order to perform his duty before God with happiness. But what robbed him of his happiness? His sin. His disobedience. But in Christ, in Christ... We have the restoration of that happiness and joy. Let me ask you this, brothers and sisters. Without this happiness that Paul is talking about here, what do you think that, what do you think, how long do you think your Christian walk will last? And I mean that question seriously. We, the world even knows, right? The world has a perverted understanding of happiness. Well, I mean, we, have, we hear it all the time. I, you know, I'm not happy in my job. But, you know, so that, you know, I, I don't want one. Or I'm not happy in my marriage. I'll get another spouse. I'm not happy with my sexual orientation. I'm not happy with my gender. I'm not happy about a number of things. That's not the kind of... Ha- that, that's the world's... That's the world's... Um, Fake happiness. That's the world's veneer on happiness. That's the world's, um, uh, uh, what do you call it, sleight of hand. want to replace true, vital happiness that can only come in Christ with this tawdry, cheap, fleeting, temporary happiness. That's why people are always down because they're happy one minute. Oh, I was happy, but now I'm sad. Nothing's going my way. That's not this happiness that Paul's talking about. This happiness here, brothers and sisters, it's it's the happiness that the psalmist described as, Oh, how I love thy law. It makes me happy. It is my meditation day and night. Oh, how the law of God is sweet to my taste. I see its wisdom. I see its wisdom. I see its integrity. I see its value. I see how it's better than gold and silver. And that makes me happy. Because I am rich in the Lord. I'll tell you this, brothers and sisters. Fall out of happiness with any given situation, and I promise you, you're in trouble. And Paul is saying, listen, I'm, I pronounce upon you the grace of Christ, this prosperity, this joy, this happiness of walking with Christ. How? I mean, these were some difficult things. This just wasn't all just, you know, uh, a bed of roses here. They, Paul is teaching them to what? To abstain from sexual immorality? To confront a sinning brother or sister? He's, he's teaching them to continue to take the gospel and press it into the nations. I mean, that's hard work. Not easy work. It's not always convenient to do those things, is it? And Paul is saying, may that grace of Christ be with you. That in Christ the restoration of this happiness and joy be and abide with you as you walk and serve Him. Look at, let me show you what I mean. It's connected to the other blessings. Turn to Hebrews 12. 
Turn to Hebrews 12. I want to show you the depth, the very depth of this joy and happiness. And now why it's not tawdry and cheap uh, uh, like, like the world's happiness, right? I want to show you this. And this, is, this right here is going to, I think, revolutionize your thinking about what it means to uh, persevere and, and live as a member of the body of Christ. Look at uh, 12.1. I'm going to read the little context there. It says, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith. Now look, here's where my point. Who, that is Christ, for the joy set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame that is, and has set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider Him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Here's what he's saying. What is it that kept Christ persevering in the peace and the presence and the abiding sweet presence of his Father? What is it that kept Christ going forward? The joy of the end. The joy set before him. You know what he said? If I endure this hostility, I'm going to bring joy and salvation and happiness to the nations. Oh, brothers and sisters, what Christ is saying is, I take my eyes off myself and I put them on the objective mission to bring happiness to the nations by the sacrifice of myself. And to do that, and to do that, I must bear the hostility of haters. Brothers and sisters, here's the thing. The joy set before Christ motivated him to persevere. The joy set before us, the grace of Christ, the joy set before us is what? We have a race to run, don't we? We're running a race of faith. And yes, it can be difficult, it can be hard, there can be t- moments of discouragement, but never, never, never so much discouragement that we abandon Christ. Never so much discouragement that we sin against our brothers and sisters. And if we do, or when we do, let us make it right. Let us walk in peace and unity with one another, with a heart of love. Let us seek the ever-abiding sweet presence of God. And let us be like Christ, who for the joy set before Him, let us walk in great happiness. Let me tell you something. You know what you... I can tell you this. Happiness is a choice. The joy set before Christ. I choose. I choose this. He didn't sit back and wait for an emotion. The obedience of his father brought him great joy. Knowing that he was going to glorify God even to his own pain and suffering brought him joy. 
Now, brothers and sisters, this is the blessing that Paul is giving to the church. And I've spent quite a bit of time explaining what these blessings are. Happiness. Happiness is the heart of Christ's grace. Christ makes His bride happy. When you're happy, you're going to want to serve Christ. And you're going to thank Christ when you worship Him. You're going to delight in Christ. When you are happy and fulfilled and satisfied and full of joy, you're going to give thanks. You're going to worship with a sincere heart. You're going to praise His name. You're going to serve Him. You're going to not see His commandments as burdensome. And you're going to want to encourage your neighbor sitting next to you to do the same thing. How do we secure these blessings? How do we maintain them? How do we, how do we protect them? Well, first of all, there are three things I want to give you. How do you secure these blessings? Do you have them? You can only have them in Christ. They only come in Christ. Saving faith. The kind of faith that's gifted by God. You can't make it up. You can't conjure it up. You can't work it up. You can't come to church enough and stir it up in your heart and create it. It's given to you by God. It's gifted. And it's expressed by you personally when you give assent, affirmation, and when you conform to the rule and teaching of Scripture. Assent and affirmation. What does that mean? What is saving faith? Faith is saying... What the Scripture says about Christ Jesus, about the law of God, about repentance, about these things that have been given to me to know, I affirm they're right. I'm wrong. Affirmation. What the, what the apostles taught in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John about Christ, I affirm. Let me be corrected. Let me be a liar and the Scriptures be true. Affirmation. That means you profess it. Whatever Scripture teaches, you profess it. You know, brothers and sisters, you may find yourself at odds with, with others who want to teach all kinds of squirrely stuff, and you say, listen, I, I, look, here's where I stand. If I have to choose between you, who I care about, or the Word of God, I'm going to choose the Word of God. Affirm it. We can't be closet Christians. You can't be closet Christians. You cannot be closet Christians, young people. You must confirm, give assent to it, and you must on a regular personal basis affirm that what Scripture teaches is true. And it's true for everyone and everybody and every generation. That's the great battle right now that the church seems confused about. What was good for one generation is no longer good for another. And look at the confused mess we're in. To believe what the Bible teaches, especially concerning Christ and the church, and all that is necessary to walk before Him. I mean, there are things we're not going to agree on in the Bible, but I'm talking about the essentials. The essentials. Christ, how to love God, how to love neighbor, that's clear. That's clear. And where it's clear, you, have no, you should have no excuse. We should have no excuse. Secondly, repentance unto life. What is repentance? Repentance... 
And this is why some people think they're saved and they're not. Because they say, oh, I believe in Christ, but they never repented of their sins. And what is repentance? Repentance is turning from sin unto God. It's turning from a sinful life to a life that's now dedicated to Christ and the Father and walking in His ways. That's repentance. That's why it's called turn unto me. Return to me. Psalm 85. Return unto me and I'll bless you. Perseverance. Perseverance is a grace. Listen, this grace is application. What's perseverance? Perseverance is an application of these graces of watchfulness and diligence. This is why Paul, you know, the writer of Hebrews says, what? don't grow weary and lose heart in doing these hard things. Don't, don't grow weary in doing good. Persevere. We are to, that is, perseverance is where we set our hands to something and we don't let go. Stay with it. Keep it going. Don't give up. I want you to picture us rolling a rock, all of us, while we're rolling this rock up the hill. What happens when Miss Paula bails out? That rock gets heavier. Then Andre bails out. That's really getting heavy. Now Miss Aquila just decided, well, her husband gave up. Why is she going to gonna roll that rock in? Now she gives up, and now it's really getting heavy. And then David says, look, I'm tired. People are falling out by the wayside. And as each one bails out, what happens to the stone? It gets heavier and heavier and heavier and heavier for the people left behind. Brothers and sisters, it takes all of us to persevere together. To persevere as a body waited for that blessed day where Christ the bridegroom comes and blesses the bride. Are these blessings true of this body? Are they true of you? If not, seek them. Find them. Not to do so is sinful. These are not suggestions. These are benedictions. These are blessings. But brothers and sisters, let us find God's grace and be restored if needed be. Otherwise, let us give thanks to God for these great and gracious blessings. Let's pray.